Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, there's a question that you can ask people if you would like to make them feel uneasy. And there's a question that you can ask people if you want to make them feel anxious, right? And there's a question that you can ask if you want to make people angry. And there's a question you can ask that uh, will stir people's passions and they become very passionate in their responses. There's a question you can ask that if you listen carefully to the answer, you, you might really learn a lot about someone and where they're coming from, what they're thinking, what's important to them. And the interesting thing is, it's all the same question. And the question is, who are you going to vote for? (laughs) Right, I mean nowadays that's kinda, that'll stir the, all sorts of things up when you ask that question, right? And sadly, I think we're living in a time when people don't feel free to actually talk about these things with each other. We'd like them to, but it just isn't going that, that uh, way so much. It's interesting. Um, I posted online this morning in the town of Leicester this slide and said, hey, we're going to be looking today to see what the Bible says about the, uh, being a Christian in the elections. And uh, I saw a little bit ago, I was going online to tell them that, and I don't know, are we back up and streaming? Not yet. So uh, for whatever reason, everything live stream went down today. That, who knows what that's about. But the point is I went online to, to tell folks, hey, we, we aren't going to be streaming on that post. And I looked, whoa, already I got like, I don't know, six or seven posts, people unhappy with us because we ought to not be able to say anything about the election or, you know, any of that politics is just Boom, you know. And so I said, okay, well, that wasn't going the way I had planned. So, <laughs> so I just deleted the post for now. And I'll probably follow up this week with a post on there and just try to talk about where we're going. Because here's the thing. When, this is just a little lesson for you and I. And uh, um, when it's unrelated to that issue of people being upset up there. But here's the deal. We try really hard here in our church to preach the Word of God to you. Okay? And the Word of God applies to all of our lives. There's, you know, anything we have to do, any decisions we have to make, any priorities we have to determine, the Word of God has things to say that while they don't always necessarily directly relate to it, they, they, they impact those things. For example, because as a Christian, right, um, I have, there are things that the Word of God says, which this is what the Bible says. And then there are a whole lot of things that I have an opinion about. Okay, now, and anybody here besides me have any opinions? All right, so we have opinions. And as a Christian, my opinions are impacted by the fact I'm a Christian, by what I believe. My opinions are impacted, but they are still my opinions. And I'm not gonna get up here and preach to you my opinions, okay? What we need to do is preach the word, right? And we need to talk about how it applies. But so we do our best. And 
like I said, I'm sure it still comes out soon, but we do our best not to preach opinions, but to preach the Word. And when the Word of God has something to say about an issue we're facing in society, we're going to talk about it, okay? Uh, but I, if you want to know who I'm going to vote for, you're going to have to talk to me another time. Because I'm not up here to preach to you my opinions, okay? And so we're going to do our best to be faithful to what the Word has to say about this. And so the first thing that I, that I want you to consider with me is this. The Bible is pretty clear about this. That Christians are simultaneously citizens of an earthly country and a heavenly kingdom at the same time. We are part of an earthly country and we are part of a heavenly kingdom. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we're going to be on page 1306 of the Bible. This should be somewhere near you under a chair. Romans 13, starting in verse 1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So just stop there. What, what God is saying here, he isn't necessarily saying that, uh, oh yes, I have picked every government leader for you. What he's saying is that he has established government. If we go back, clear back to the story of Noah and the flood and afterwards, we find the institution of human government, okay? And uh, God's going to tell us here what his big picture purposes are for human government. But what he is saying is it's two things. First of all, that God is the one who instituted government. Uh, so anarchy is not a, a plan that, that matches with God's plan, okay? So he established government and also he is sovereign over who ends up in office. Now, I'm not saying, he doesn't put them off. See, God all the time is letting us human beings make our best choices. Sometimes we don't make the best choices, but he's letting us make our choices, and we make our choices, and it, somehow God works it all together in his sovereignty, and he, he you know, allows things. Uh, sometimes he, we end up with a great leader, and sometimes we end up with a less than great leader. So, but God is the one who established government. Let's continue, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So the idea is that, that you know, it's, it's a good thing for us to be subject to the governmental powers and, and the laws and all that kind of stuff. Now, I, this passage doesn't deal with this, but the scripture is quite clear. You reach a point, if you have to make a decision, do I obey God or man, right? Do I obey, obey God or the government? It's, a, it's an easy choice. I shouldn't say easy, it's a simple choice. The choice is we obey God, right? Even if it means we disobey the government. Now, be honest with you, for the most part, I think in my life, I have never run into a place where I had to make that choice yet, okay? So, but if, if we did, we would. But so in, in God's intent for government is it to be good. And I like this. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, okay? You, you, won't be unaf you won't be afraid. And we can prove this, right? When you know that you're driving much faster than you ought to drive, are you much more alert to whether or not there are any policemen in sight? And if you see one, what do you do? Hit the brake! I mean, so... 
we get this, right? And those, if you drive the speed limit, you don't have any reason. But bigger things, obviously, than the speed limit are, are at issue here. Verse four, for he is God's minister to you for good. Think about that. Those who are in governmental, positions of governmental authority are God's ministers. Now, do they realize that all the time? No, they don't always realize that, but nonetheless, they are there. That's God's intent for them. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He has the authority to deal with your rebellion. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, not only because you're afraid of what might happen to you, but also for conscience sake, because God has told us to do this. So it's about choosing to submit to the Lord. Verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, there's that term again, attending continually to this very thing. And so here's what he, the conclusion. He says, render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I don't necessarily think that's intended to be an exhaustive list. But render to all their due. Render what is due. And I would say to you that in we are privileged to live in a culture and that has a government set up, right, that acknowledges, at least at this point still, acknowledges certain fundamental rights that we have as human beings, right? In the First Amendment, our government recognizes this right, that we have a, a, a right to our religious beliefs and to practice them. We also have a right for, to have our own ideas and to express them, okay? And we also have built into our Constitution the right to vote, okay? So when we think about a society like ours, a government system like ours, and we think about, well, what is due to them? What is it that I owe to them? Well, I think what we have a, a responsibility to engage with what's going on, to engage with the thoughts and think through them. And if the Lord should lead us to, to express those thoughts and to share those thoughts with others and then to cast a vote, all right? So I think those things are what to do. Now, is that, am I saying you're, a, you're sinning if you don't vote? No, I'm not saying that, that isn't the point. I'm saying generally speaking, most situations, think, engage, talk, influence if you want, and then vote. That's part of what it's due to our government. So we are citizens of an earthly government. We're also citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Go over to Philippians chapter three. <clears throat> Philippians chapter three, this, this chapter is where the apostle Paul tells us, wow, he realized how far off the mark he was when he was pursuing, trying to be right with God by keeping all the rules and regulations, and he realized, no, it's Christ and, and what he's done for us. And he said, because of that, man, that is the one thing I do. I press into that relationship with Christ and know him and to, to do his will. And then he says this in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who walk, so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and by that means their appetites, their natural appetites rule their lives. 
and whose glory is in their shame. Then he, he kind of sums up how they live. Who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. But back in verse 20, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. So we have a, a heavenly kingdom to which we are subject to willingly and need to be and to live accordingly. So we're simultaneously citizens of an earthly, king, earthly country and a heavenly kingdom. So that means for most of us here today, but you are a citizen of the United States and a citizen of heaven. Assuming you were born here or you were naturalized here. If you're here today and you aren't a citizen yet, we're glad you're here, right? That's not the point. But, but citizen of the United States and of heaven. So here's what you need to do. You need to be a good citizen of both. You need to be a good citizen of both. Now think about this. Jesus talked about this because the challenge came to Jesus. You know, the Jewish people uh, of Jesus' day, you know, their country was occupied by a foreign country, the Romans, and, and uh, so they came and challenged Jesus. Are we supposed to pay taxes to the Romans? Are we supposed to do that because they don't, you know, mar here and they're Gentiles and they're heathen and we're God's people. And do we have to pay taxes to them? And, and uh, of course, they were trying to catch him, right? Because if he said yes, they'd have one accusation. If he said no, they'd have another accusation. And so he said, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. And, and he looked at it and he said, whose picture's on the coin? And the picture on the coin was Caesar representing the Roman government. Okay? And then he said this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. How much... Isn't that like a perfect statement of being a citizen of a country and of a heavenly kingdom? Absolutely. But so he says we need to render to each what is due to them. And so we've already kind of talked about what is due to our, our uh, country, the United States. And so here is, um, just before I go on, let me just check something. Yeah. All right. So in the history, of, in, we're going to have to gain some insight here on what this means, of how to be a good citizen of the earthly country in which we live. The Jewish people of Israel, you know, when Old Testament times, they, they turned away from the Lord, they disobeyed God, and, and as a result, the, the northern tribes, northern ten tribes get carried away captive by Assyria, and then a couple hundred years later, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, and they got carried away into captivity as, as well. And um, they're trying to figure out how is this working? Here we are in captivity, and I think they've They've kind of humbled themselves before God. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do? We aren't in the land that God has given us. We don't have the temple. We don't have, how we live these things? And, uh, you know, what's going to happen to us? And God gave Jeremiah a message and told Jeremiah that, tell these people, tell my people that they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. <laughs> That's a long time, isn't it? They're going to be there for 70 years. And he said, I, here's, 
I want you to tell them what to do while they're living in Babylon. And he says a whole bunch of things. But one verse kind of captures what I want you to see today. In, in Jeremiah 29, 7, it says this, and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Now this word that's translated peace here is the, the Hebrew word, which we probably all heard at some point, shalom, right? And shalom is used as kind of this big picture blessing word. It's not just peace, you aren't having any fights. It's a peaceful, positive, good existence. And so God says, seek the well-being of the country that you are in. Now, in some sense, and I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of just stretching here a little bit on an application, but sometimes I feel like we're living in captivity. <laughs> Not because we live in the United States, but because we live in this world, okay? And while we are here, part of what God expects us to do is to seek the peace or the shalom, the well-being of our country. The well-being of our city, the well-being of our state, the well-being of our country. And so uh, we need to think what, what kinds of things, what do we need to do? You know, we've already talked about engaging with issues and thinking through them, praying about them, you know, seeing what God has to say about them. Sometimes, again, we're going to come down very clearly on what the Word of God says. And other times we're going to come down, well, here's a principle. And because of that, here's what I am believing. Here's what my opinion is. Uh, and, and so we do those kinds of things. But when we think about seeking what's good for our country. It has to include that we want to protect the most vulnerable among us, right? We want to be the kind of country and people that protects the vulnerable. And well, the most vulnerable today are the unborn children, children in the womb, right? What can they do to protect themselves? They can't. You know, we need to, to protect and care for the sick Right, those who in desperate need because of their health situation. Uh, we need to uh, protect the truly poor, help the truly poor. That's a, a common theme throughout the scriptures, to care about them. We need to protect the elderly, okay? The, the, the ones who again become most vulnerable uh, in our society. Now, how do we do those things? Well, this is where people can disagree and do disagree. But I'm trying to say to you that we need to seek these things, right? That if we're gonna seek what's good for our country, we gotta protect the most vulnerable, the sick, the poor, the elderly. We must do those things and care about them and have opinions about them and try to do something about them. Uh, another thing that we must uh, do is seek to encourage and uphold morality. Okay, now there's a sense in which government cannot, government can't change anybody's morality. True? They're limited, we're limited. Um, but at the same time, we want to figure out how do we encourage morality? How do we discourage immorality? What can we do, right? And so we want to care about those kinds of things, have laws that would uphold those things, and then also to preserve the freedom of individuals to practice their religion, 
and their religious beliefs. And that is an issue in our nation today. Now, it shows up sometimes in silly ways. You know, like whether someone wants to make a cake or not. It's kind of a, to me, those, we ought to be able to easily resolve those kinds of things. But what I find in this already, it was just borne home to me this morning by the fact when I posted online that we're going to look at what the Bible says about being a citizen of two, hev- two kingdoms, that I got this strong, strong pushback that keep your religious stuff to yourself. Right? You see what I'm saying? And so uh, there is this growing conflict of people believing that, that religious belief is fine as long as you keep it to yourself and it never comes out of your church building. You know, but the reality is everybody has a belief system they live by and it affects all of their beliefs and decisions in the world. So that isn't even legitimate. But um, the point is, is we need to say how we want to keep people free to seek God, to, to follow him according to their consciences. And that means there are going to be people who disagree with me, Right. But we need to protect their rights, too. And so that uh, is a potential issue that is risk. And then there are other things, certainly, that would be good for our country. But they, they fall into the realm of my opinion and your opinion. Shaped by, you know, in other words, I think that we, you know, I think the Bible's clear. We ought to help those who are vulnerable, right? The sick and the truly poor to do that. Well, how do we do that? Does, does the government do something? Or does the government encourage people to do something? Or how do we handle that? Well, people are going to disagree on that. Okay? And anybody besides me that finds yourself, if, if you let yourself go, capable of making all of your opinions equal in authority to the Scripture, you would never do that, would you? You guys are looking at me, oh boy, we're worried about Walt, if that's it. My point is, is everybody has an opinion, but mine are right. (laughs) Does anybody else feel that way about yourself? You see what I'm saying? And so the idea is we may disagree on those, but we can't disagree on, as Christians, on the things that the Bible says are so important. All right, so one of the ways that we... uh, seek the peace or seek the well-being of our country is to vote. We, like I said, we have a, the opportunity in our country, the privilege of you know, being able to engage with those issues and think about them and pray about them and try to influence others and learn from others and, and talk about it freely and then we get the vote. Okay? And so this is one of the ways we can seek to make a difference to seek the well-being of our country. Now, when we're voting, I kind of divide this up into two things that we're voting for when we come to a presidential election like that. And the first one is we're voting for a person, right? There is a person, two people at the top of a ticket, okay? There are the individuals involved. And David, in talking about uh, what a leader ought to be, what a, how a person ought to rule his people. In 2 Samuel says this, he says, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, in our, again, in our system, it's not unusual to, to look at who the candidates are and go, I can't check this box on either of them. 
right? I mean, but the idea is we want to say that the character of people matters, doesn't it? The character of a leader matters. And so there are lots of issues there as we look at those character things. I think when we're talking about a country and, and uh, the differences it's going to make, especially when we don't have a clear, and I'm, I'm not even making a statement about this election. I'm talking in general principle, okay? When we don't have a clear uh, you know, deciding factor on this character thing, I think one of the issues we want to, to know and try to figure out is, will this person how likely are they to really do what they say they're going to do? Because they're saying they're going to do certain things or want to do certain things. And so, you know, are they really going to do that? Or try, because, you know, they're limited. Are they really going to try to do it? Are they going to be consistent in doing that? So part of the character, when we can't decide it, you know, by just overall good character, especially if it would be nice if it's godly character, then we want to ask, like, well, okay, will this person their character, will they do what they say they're going to do? Because that enables us to do what? To make an informed vote, okay? Will they do? Now, a second um, thing that um, we're voting about is we're not just voting for person, we're voting for policies. Because these people have policies, policy, policy positions, what they believe and how they say they're going to flesh that out. and and. The policy aspect really includes a whole lot more than the person. Because for this person to enact these policies, they also need a whole broad range of other people, don't they? Other politicians, other government employees, uh, um, other influential people, all that kind of stuff. And so when we think about these policies, we want to think, you know, what is the what is the background of where these people are coming from? You know, is there a prevailing view? Is, is, are the positions and policies that are coming from this candidate and, you know, what he wants to do, where do they come from? Are, are they born out of what we would call a Judeo-Christian view of the world? Okay. In a sense of, you know, that more or less matches the idea of, of Scripture when it talks about what's right and wrong and how things ought to be. Or are they coming from, which the other prevailing view in our world is very much a, a secular humanist view, which is where man determines these things for himself. And so there, are, there is no external, you know, absolutes, right and wrong to look to. And so we want to say what's informing the bulk of these policies and, and uh, what's going to happen if they are in place. And so, so this really matters. And, and scripture says this in Proverbs. It says that godliness makes a nation great. But sin is a disgrace to any people. And so what we want to say is, you know, what is going to be the law of the land? What are the policies of the land going to be? Are they going to be policies that promote what's good and righteous? Or are they going to be policies that are going to endorse sin? Okay? And it's never a good thing for a nation to, I mean, we got all sorts of sin in our country, right? You know why? Because people live in our country, right? So we got lots of sin in our country, but the, uh, it's a whole nother step when the government officially endorses and supports sin. 
right? That's, that's a whole nother step. And so we want to think, what kind of laws are going to come out of this election? What kind of policies is this person and those who work with him going to come from him? And by the way, this is the idea. The worldview affects decisions, when we're talking about a president, it affects decisions about how they view what kind of judges should we appoint, right? That worldview is going to help us to understand, you know, what they're going to do and uh, whether these judges are going to rule in ways that are contrary to uh, a biblical worldview or in a way that's consistent with them. So these are considerations for us to take into account. So you're a citizen of heaven and earth, so you want to be a good citizen of both the United States and a citizen of heaven. Um, so next thing that you see is this, always let your heavenly citizenship govern your earthly citizenship. There is a priority here, okay? There is a priority. Because citizenship on earth, I believe we can look at the word and see it, citizenship on earth is important but it's temporary. Your heavenly citizenship is more important and eternal, okay? And so it needs to have priority. And so that means as we look at the issues and as we figure out how do we engage with this, how do we talk with people, how do we seek to influence or not, uh, and then how we actually cast our vote, uh, we need to think, okay, as a, as a Christian, as a heavenly, uh, Citizen, what should I do? Well, love your country, okay? Love your country. Nothing wrong with that, but make sure you love Jesus more. Amen. Love your country, but love... There, there are times when we need to speak the truth about our country that isn't good or right, right? Love your country, love Jesus more. Care about policies, but care about people more. Right? These are ways that you make sure that your heavenly citizenship governs your earthly citizenship. And so we're talking not just about what we support, what the issues are, how we support them. We are talking about how we talk to people about it. What are our attitudes about it, about the issues and about the other people? Um, boy, Colossians chapter 4 says this. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, there's another way, one of those words is used in our language, which we don't want you to do. Salty speech. If somebody has salty speech, you know, that's the getting bleeped out part. So it doesn't mean that. But as Christians, when we talk about issues, again, we need to love Jesus and we need to love and care about people. And then that needs to affect how we talk about things. And so our words ought to be gracious. And by the way, words include things you write online, not just what comes out of your mouth. They ought to be gracious words. That means you're valuing and caring about the persons who will be reading or hearing what you're saying. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Seasoning, okay? Why do we season something? To make it taste better, right? To, to you know, if, um, well, I'll just, I'll just keep going. The, 
<coughs> my father, when he was alive, came to visit us one time and, and we had pizza and, and he had a container and it was a ceramic container and it was a salt container. And he thought it was Parmesan cheese. <laughs> and his eyesight wasn't real great. We're watching him, what are you doing, Dad? And he, he bites and, whoa, did his eyes get big, right? And he, he motored through it and ate it all, I don't know. <laughs> but generally speaking, we don't like that, do we, right? Too salty and it's... And so the idea is we need to, as we talk to people, as we write for people to read, as we post what somebody else, you know, did, that's even scarier. We need to care about the people who are on the other end. And we need to consciously think, how can I say this in a way that makes it a little more appetizing, right? How can I say this in a way that will make it a little easier for these people to hear it and understand? So they won't just shut it off and stop listening. So how we talk to people really matters. Now think about this. Um, Jesus said to love your enemies, Amen. to bless those who curse you, to do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I would just say to you that, that far too often I've seen things that Christians write, whether the Christians from big ministries or individual Christians, you know, they write things in social media, and it's not that I'm the be-all, end-all standard here, but all I can tell you is it doesn't seem to me like they're writing with this in mind. Is it loving to tell somebody the truth they need to know even if they don't like it? Yes, yes it is. Is it lovingly, loving to tell them in a way that, makes, that devalues them? It's not loving to devalue them. Is it loving to do it in ways that in other words, I've talked to you before, and you, know, you see the headlines, you know, so-and-so nukes this person, and this one destroys this person. And it's like, oh, is that our goal? No. I think we do need to engage with the issues. We do need to speak the truth, and we need to figure out how to do it graciously and, and season it with salt and all those kinds of things. Always remember that we need to love these people. Even the ones who say the craziest things and do the craziest things and want the wrong things for us, we need to love them. And as a citizen of heaven, that loving of other people needs to govern how I carry out my citizenship on earth. And politics seems to be a particularly nasty place well, that doesn't happen. But let's, you and me, let's be light, right? Let's be light in the dark world. Let's be salt in seasoning way, in a, a world that needs it. Um, because when all is said and done, and actually we're going to end up talking about this next week, this just became a two-part sermon. Um, do you know what? Those people are still going to be valuable when the election's over. And will you still be able to talk to them when the election's over? And so we need to make sure that our, everything that we do and think and express 
and even how we vote, is governed by our heavenly citizenship, which means it's governed by love. By love. And so let's finish with a short video. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your unconditional love of us, for us, expressed in as we've sung today and as we've seen from your word and in this video, Lord, that you loved us unconditionally. You provided everything we need to be reconciled to you. Uh, son dying, bearing the guilt for our sins, rising again, and you call us to you call us to just come to you in faith and you, you save us and forgive us and give us eternal life and you move into our lives and, and begin changing us and that you're seeking our peace and seeking our well-being in us. Um, I pray, Father, that we will see what's going on in our country in this upcoming election as much as we can, Father, from a biblical perspective and that we would be good citizens of this country and truly seek the well-being of our country, the well-being of every person who lives around us and lives in our nation. And I pray, Father, that we would be mindful in all of this, that you love them more than we do. And we want to love them like you as much as we can, and so we want to share the gospel, Father. Stir our hearts to do that. I pray when all said and done here, Father, we will have loved well and been faithful to you to be a good citizen of this country and of your kingdom. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go be light and love this week, okay? Thank you.